It's really a privilege to be here with you uh, this morning, and uh, I've been looking forward to this. R.W. asked me a few weeks back, excuse me as I flip here, I'm looking for my notes. Uh, it would be helpful to have those. Uh, and as R.W. mentioned, uh, we have a business here in, uh, in Valencia Industrial Park. We've been in business for about 10 years, and it's been an exciting thing to see how the Lord has blessed in that. And I was excited to be uh, included in this series called The Master's Men because I think the thing that I have desired more than anything else in my life is to be a man of the master and uh, to make that a priority uh, in my life. Uh, Maybe you got one of these brochures. Did you get one of those brochures that has the master's men in it, has the pictures? You know, I always, uh, when you get these brochures from camps or, or conferences, they always have the pictures of the men in there. You ever go through there and try to try to figure out uh, what they're going to say uh, by the looks of their picture or how they're you ever do that? I, you know, I've done that. And some some men, you look at their picture and they have tremendous credibility. I mean, they're, you know, and they just look uh, very credible. My picture does not look real uh, credible. Uh, <laughs> and uh, R.W. was mentioning the expression on my face uh, being new on the speaker's circuit. Uh, we had to scramble for a picture, you know. And as I'm going through the box, I found this picture uh, and, and cut my face out uh, with a little bit of, of the collar. And there's an unusual expression on my face. Now, if you saw the whole picture, you would understand why. Because in my left shirt pocket, there was a baby rabbit with his head sticking out. And he was tickling me as the picture was taken. <laughs> but anyway, it's an unusual picture. And uh, you probably can't guess what I'm going to speak on uh, from looking at the picture. As R.W. mentioned... Uh, uh, I was uh, I had my secondary training at UCLA and uh, we didn't have many chapel services at UCLA. Um, uh, some of you may be surprised that it's not uh, Union Christian of Los Angeles. Um, but one thing did did occur to me several times as I as I would be studying, uh, you know, studying for finals in, in the library stacks. I'd look at those books and I would see those people pouring uh, over that knowledge and see those stacks and stacks and stacks of books and of knowledge. And it would occur to me, because I was a Christian at the time, how much knowledge and how little wisdom. How much knowledge men can pile up, but how little wisdom they have to understand how to use that knowledge. C.S. Lewis said once that education just makes man a more clever devil. And it's kind of true, isn't it? If we have education without knowledge, we can we can do great things with it, but we can also do dastardly things with it. And uh, so I, I think as I as I was uh, thinking about coming to you and sharing with you this morning in your chapel service. In the last couple of months uh, after I.W. had asked me it, it, this is a difficult group for me to speak to. First of all, I'd never been to a Bible college. I have been to seminary. But I, I went to Fuller, and uh, uh, I saw that eyebrow raised. And, <laughs> and, and I thought, what am I going to share with you? You've heard the best Bible teachers, and you have excellent Bible teachers at your school. And you have excellent Bible teachers uh, in your chapel services. And it occurred to me that the thing that I wanted to share with you more than anything else was to share with you as a warrior, as a soldier, Coming in from the battle, I've been a Christian for 22 years. And I wanted to share with you as a soldier coming in 
from the battle, some of the things, some of the insights that I've learned out there in the battlefield of lay ministry. And I remember uh, when I was in basic training uh, in the Army for the big war, Vietnam, uh, but when I was in basic training, we had a, a drill sergeant named Sergeant Neely. And he'd drill us through the day, and then old Sergeant Neely would come in at night, and we'd sit around on the bunks, and Sergeant Neely would tell us war stories. And it was neat, because most of us knew that we were going to have to go to Vietnam, and we were kind of interested in how somebody survives. Neely was a three-time, he had been there in three campaigns, so old Sergeant Neely knew what he was talking about. And Neely would tell us war stories, and I think I learned more from Neely's war stories sitting on the bunks then I probably learned from all the theoretical stuff that we had in basic training. And so I come to you this morning, I just want to kind of share some war stories with you and share some insights that God has given me through doing battle out there in the world for him for 22 years as a, as a business layman. First of all, I'd like to kind of clear up, and maybe not clear up, but maybe uh, help you to clear up some confusion about lay and ministry full-time, and laity. And I think that, uh, if I'm not wrong, that sometimes uh, when a person, you know, in a college like yours, if I'm not mistaken, you have some people that are headed for, a, a, at least at this point in their life, they're preparing for a lay uh, type of uh, job, and some people that are preparing for a full-time kind of a Christian vocational job. Isn't that right? And I think that there's, there's sometimes, now this may not happen at your campus, but there's sometimes when you might go up to somebody on campus and you say, what are you preparing for? And you say, well, you know, I'm preparing uh, to be another John MacArthur. And you say, super. And they say, what are you preparing for? And you say, well, I'm preparing to be a lawyer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they might kind of look at you like, well, that's nice, but it's second class. You know, is laity second class? When God calls a man to a lay ministry, is that second class? Now, what I'd like to challenge you with, first of all, and you've got to know where I'm coming from because I'm a layman, is that the key thing is not where you're called to, but who calls you to where you are. Okay? The key thing is not the position, but it's who called you to that position. The key thing is not, are you a minister? Ready for this? But the key thing is, are you ministering? I have been to Asia. I've visited missionaries. I've seen pastors in the United States. I've seen people that are full-time that are not ministering. They've either lost the vision or they never had it. And there's really nothing important and as far as godly ministry coming from their lives. And I've seen laymen that are working a 40-hour week that have tremendous ministry. It isn't whether you wear the name, it's whether you're doing the job. That's what's important. And I see men today that uh, they have ministries, and yet we would consider them lay. For instance, James Dobson. I think James Dobson has a tremendous ministry. But I would consider him a layman. I think historically we've had great laymen that have, that have uh, done tremendous things because the call of God was upon them. C.S. Lewis was a layman. And yet C.S. Lewis' writing still turned the hearts of men. How many of you have read Screwtape Letters? Uh, tremendous work. 
C.S. Lewis was a layman. There are some here that today feel that God is calling them into the ministry. And God may change that down the road, and you may be a layman. I think it's important that you're not disappointed in that, but that you see that you can still be used as long as you're where God is calling you to be. And it's interesting, when, I, when I'm speaking, uh, I speak about eight times a month on the average. I figured it out, and my, my wife will attest to that. <laughs> I speak about eight times a month. And when I'm done speaking, sometimes people will come up to me. This happened to me just Tuesday morning. I was speaking to a group of businessmen, and, and somebody came up to me afterward, and they said, Hey, Bob, they said, have you ever thought of going into the ministry? And I think to myself, I thought that's what I was doing. You see, know? <laughs> ministry is not defined by where your paycheck comes from. Ministry is defined by what you're doing and what you're called to be doing. And are you where God has called you to be? And I believe that some of you here are called to be lay ministers. And I believe that some of you are called to be vocational ministers. But just be careful you follow the calling of God. That's the main thing. And don't think of one as second class and one as first class. You know, I mentioned that there's contemporary lay ministers and there are Old Testament lay ministers. Who can think of an Old Testament lay minister? Abraham, I think, was an Old Testament lay minister. He was in agriculture. And we can go through the Bible and there's Joseph. Uh, He was in political work. Daniel, same type of thing. Tremendous men that were laymen. There were also... Uh, vocational ministers in the Old Testament. Samuel was a vocational minister. I think of, uh, of Nathan, the prophet. New Testament, Matthew, Peter, John. They were really full-time. But there's one man that I think uh, inspires me because he kind of shows us that in God's eye there really isn't such a, di- a, a, a dividing line between lay and vocational ministries. And that's the man Paul. See, Paul kind of went back and forth, didn't he? Sometimes he's supporting himself with the tent work, and sometimes he's accepting support from the church. But Paul underscores that a man that preaches the gospel can make his living from that. He underscores that that's a principle, and he doesn't negate that. But Paul shows us in his very lifestyle that in God's eye, there's not such a dividing line between laity and clergy as we would make it. The key is, are we ministering? And we need to understand that whether we're called, we feel called this morning, by God to a lay vocation or to a ministerial vocation, the key thing is that we're all called to be ministers. God has called every one of us to be a minister. God has given every one of you that know Christ a gift. And he expects you and urges you and exhorts you to minister that gift. And so we are all called to be ministers. And uh, some will be vocational and will uh, earn their paycheck by that. And some... Uh, will be lay and will earn their paycheck another way and yet be involved in ministries uh, just as strongly, some and some even more strongly as laymen than others who are vocational by nature. Now, I'd like to share with you, uh, with that introduction, I'd like to share with you some things, some insights uh, that I have learned from the battlefield uh, out there being a lay minister. Now, the first thing I'd like to share with you is the need for a vision, the need for a vision. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for what God can do with you? There's a need for us to have a vision for our own lives. You'll notice then in the Old Testament, 
that God would give them visions before he'd put them into the work. I think of the man Joseph. No, Joseph was going to have to, at the age of 17, be be kidnapped and uh, by his brothers and then sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land where he didn't speak the language, go through all of these things. But before God put him through that, he gave Joseph a vision. He gave him two visions. And I think that Joseph held those visions in his heart and it helped him through the rough times. I would challenge you to pray that God would give you a vision for your life. And as God gives you that vision for your life, look for someone, men and women, look for someone that you can identify with that is either presently or in the past had the kind of ministry and lifestyle that you would like to have. You know, when I, when I was in college, uh, my brother and I used to minister. Uh, we went to convalescent homes, and uh, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever ministered in a convalescent home. It's an interesting speaking experience. Um, it's nice because you can lock the brakes on the wheelchairs, see, and nobody leaves. But we used to do convalescent work, and we used to do jail work, and uh, we did skid row work, and we had a great time. And as I saw fruit in that ministry, I realized that God had given me a gift of teaching. But at the same time, I saw that we were having success in the business field. And I saw that God had given me a talent for business and in particular for inventing. Oh, I loved invent. And so there was kind of a turmoil. Which way would I go? And as I, and as I was in the service, this was a big turmoil in my life as I was overseas. When we had a break and when I'd really think about my life and pray about my life over the word, I think, which way, Lord, do you want me to go? Do you want me to be a minister? Or do you want me to follow my talents and to, to go into business? And time after time after time, the Lord affirmed in my heart he wanted me to do both. But it was difficult for me, and I even shared in letters and told my friends that the hard thing is I don't see people that are doing both. But when I came back from the service, I met a man named Charles Jones. Now, his nickname is Charles Tremendous Jones. And Charlie Tremendous Jones, I don't know how many of you have ever met him or heard of him, but I think he still holds the record for uh, life insurance sales and insurance sales, that uh, all the records that have ever been. Charlie Jones. I went to an executive retreat and met Charlie Jones. We had three days together. And there God had given me a vision in this person. I could identify with Charlie. That was what I wanted to be, a layman and a minister. And you know what I did? I signed up for that retreat three more times <laughs> so I could be around Charlie Jones and so I could study him and learn from him. You know, we're not good at learning from each other nowadays. The church is in turmoil with this, with this uh, issue called discipleship. We're not good at discipling. You know why? We're good at learning from tapes and we're good at learning from books and we're good at learning from seminars, but we're not good at learning from each other. You know, in the old days, they had... The, uh, the master and the disciples. Uh, they had the craftsman and the apprentice. Uh, they, they had the, 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 the um, uh, mentor and the students. See? And you didn't just learn from books, you learned from a man. But we kind of lost that concept. But I would challenge you, first of all, this is what I've learned out in the battle. You've got to have a vision. Ask God for a vision and then ask God for someone that you can identify with to be your mentor, to disciple you. And then when you find that person, you go after him and you stick with him and you learn from him. 
Now, that's real old-fashioned stuff. But this is all free and it's good. Okay? And Charlie Jones, boy, when I saw that guy and I saw what he was doing, I stuck by him. I I paid for four of those crazy seminars and sat there four years in a row listening to Charlie Jones because I wanted to learn how he did what he did. And Charlie Jones is probably my favorite communicator other than R.W. Mackey. So I would challenge you to have a vision for your life because it'll get you going and it'll keep you going in the rough times. Then the second thing that I've learned, one of the other things that I've learned out there in the battle is the necessity of purity. The necessity of purity. First, the need for a vision. And secondly, the necessity of purity. You know, in my 22 years of walking with the Lord and being involved in lay ministry, I've noticed time after time after time Effective lives cut down by sin. And it grieves my heart. I want to tell you something from my heart. If you have decided in your life that you would like to minister for the Lord, whether as a vocational minister or as a lay minister, and I hope you're all called to either one of those, if you've decided that and you're not serious about personal purity and about purity in your own life, and give it up. Do us all a favor and give it up. You got the picture? If you think that you can minister and not be serious about purity, you're wrong. If you think God will bless your ministry, you're wrong. If you think you can go it that way, you're wrong. If you think you'll have fruit, you're wrong. There is a need for us that have decided to minister to have a commitment to purity. It's a necessity. Now, I've noticed, as I've been around for these 22 years of ministry, that there's various attitudes towards sin. You notice that? And your friends and as you contact people. Uh, The first attitude is uh, the the I could attitude. You know? If the temptation comes along, I could. Not only I could, but I would. Now, I'll tell you what keeps these people pure. They haven't had the chance. (laughs) given the chance they will you see because their thought life is not pure and they're looking for the opportunity but they just haven't had it yet a biblical example is Saul Saul was that kind of a guy you know give him a chance and he'd take it don't give him too many chances he'll take them all so the first attitude I see towards sin is I could and if it came I would that's a very slack very easy attitude And it leads to real trouble. Then I see a second attitude. This is the attitude of, I couldn't. The first one is, I could, and if it comes, I probably would. The second attitude is, I couldn't. You know, this is the guy that says, you know, I don't know how they could get into that situation. I don't know how people can be tempted in that way. I could never do that. Who's Who's a biblical example of that? Who? Peter. Huh? Lord, though all deny you. Ho, ho, ho. Not big Pete. I'll hang in there. They all may fall away, but not me. What happens? What happens? He falls. He falls. Now, the correct attitude toward temptation and sin is this. I could, 
but I won't. I could, but I won't. I reckon with my flesh, but I purpose in my heart. You notice what it says in Daniel? And Daniel what? He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He knew he could, but he purposed in his heart that he wouldn't. That's the correct attitude. To know my flesh and to be serious that I won't. Again, looking at the man Joseph in Genesis. Let me read that to you. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph is, uh, well, his boss's wife is just not a very nice woman. And uh, she thinks Joseph is uh, the living end. And in Genesis chapter 39, verse 10, she's asking Joseph to, uh, well, in verse 9 it says, or excuse me, let's go back to verse 8. She's asking Joseph uh, to get involved with her. And in verse 9, Joseph says, There is no one greater in this house than I. And he, his master, has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Now watch this. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph knew that sin was a sin against who? God. We don't sin against each other. Oh, we do, but we sin primarily against who? David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband. But when he went on his knees, he said to what? He said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. When we sin, we sin against God. Joseph knew that. Then watch this in verse 10. And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be what? With her. You see, Joseph knew that he could. So he wasn't even going to be, what? With her. She said, Joseph, we don't have to uh, get involved. You can just lay down next to me. Joseph said, have none of it. She said, Joseph, just hang around the house with me. We'll uh, we'll have some tea. We'll have a a little uh, glass of uh, Egyptian wine here together. Joseph said, "Uh uh-uh. Joseph wouldn't even be with her. He reckoned with his weakness. And he planned for it. And he stayed away from it the correct attitude there's a priority of purity that we must reckon with in our lives it's a necessity if we're going to minister effectively lay or vocational and the correct attitude towards temptation is I could I could but I won't and I'll plan my life so that I don't remember one time uh, Don and I went to uh, an evangelistic school that Billy Graham held and Billy Graham was on talking about this very subject. And he said, every man has his weakness. And he shared that, uh, that one of his uh, could be lust. And so he said, I plan my life so that I'm never alone with a woman other than my wife in a room, ever. And I thought, man, that is seriousness about sin, isn't it? That's seriousness about purity. And if we want God to bless our ministries, whether lay or vocational, we need to be serious about purity. God says in his word, in 2 Chronicles 16:9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I think that's the issue on purity, that our hearts are completely his. And when we have that, when we present our hearts to him that way, then we have his strong support. And that's what I want in my life, my family, 
in my job and my ministry. I want his strong support. Then thirdly, third thing I'd like to share with you is the pleasure of his presence. The pleasure of his presence. I've noticed out in there in the world, out in the battle, that uh, there's a need for vision. There's a necessity of purity. And there's a pleasure in his presence. In Psalm 1611, it says this, In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I wonder this morning if you've learned the pleasure of his presence. Is your prayer life kind of dry and methodical? And when you get on your knees, maybe you feel like he's condemning and belittling. Or have you learned to wait upon him and know the pleasure of his presence? Why, that's something that can support you for the rest of your life in whatever ministry God calls you to. That you can withdraw into the pleasure of his presence. And in our business, we have a good deal of pressure. Our business has grown uh, in the last five years at, at an average of 30% compounded annually per year. Now, that's a lot of growth. And it's hard when things grow that fast. Uh, we, in one year, we jumped from a building of uh, 12,000 or, or 6,000 square feet to a building of 26,000 square feet. Very stretching, very hard for us. A lot of pressures. If I didn't know that I could withdraw with Jesus and know the pleasure of his presence... I don't know how I'd stand it. I don't know how other people do it. God has blessed us immensely. But in all the pressures and situations, I know that I can withdraw and I can come to to Christ and know the pleasure of his presence. Now, I want to challenge you with something along those lines, and this is very personal. Donna and I were married when we were uh, a little bit older than most of you. I was uh, 29 and Donna was 28. Now I can't tell you how long we've been married or she'll kill me. (laughs) But uh, we were single uh, for a long time. And I've noticed, and I did notice in myself and with other single people, that a lot of times they're looking for each other, for, for in each other what they'll only find in Jesus. A lot of times they're looking for salvation in each other that they'll only find in Jesus. Sometimes they'll find they're looking for fulfillment in each other that they'll only find in Jesus. And if you, as a future marriage partner, can learn the pleasure of his presence, it'll set you free to enjoy your partner without putting undue demands on them. You understand what I'm saying? You won't demand from them what you should be looking for in Jesus. And you'll be free to enjoy them for the the person that they are, the redeemed person that they are, And you can both laugh at your failures and enjoy each other for who you are because you've found your salvation and the pleasure of the presence of Christ in your life as you spend time with him. Now, the pleasure of his presence, a vision, the necessity of purity, all of these things I have found important. And then the last one I'd like to share with you is the priority of obedience. The priority of obedience. I've noticed out there uh, in, the, in my ministry and in my vocation that some people talk to talk without walking to walk. You ever notice that? 
The legs aren't going where the lips are. And that's kind of sad. And I found that uh, they're sure found out quickly. And I don't know what kind of sacrifice you'd like to make with your life. I don't know, maybe today you're thinking about uh, going overseas. Maybe you're thinking about sacrifice as a pastor. Or maybe I've challenged you as far as sacrificing your life in ministry as well as having a, a, a secular vocation. I don't know what your plans are. But if your plans don't include obedience, then your sacrifice won't mean much. Do you remember in the Old Testament when uh, when Saul is coming back from the battle at Ai? And the Lord told Saul, he said, Saul, you go out there and you destroy everything in Ai. Just knock them dead and knock everything else dead. And as Saul is coming back from Ai, he meets Samuel. And uh, Saul says, hey, Samuel, uh, or uh, Samuel says, hey, Saul, how'd it go? Saul said, oh, we had a great victory. And uh, Samuel says, you kill everything? Saul says, yeah, everything's dead. Samuel says, well, what's the bleeding of the sheep I hear? <laughs> and Saul thinks quick. He's quick on his feet. And he says, uh, oh, uh, we got those for a sacrifice to the Lord. And here's what Samuel says. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. You know, obedience kind of is kind of the flip side of purity. I think of purity as staying away from those things that I shouldn't be involved in. And obedience is doing those things that Christ has called me to do. They're both important. The priority of obedience is that no matter what you plan to do as a sacrifice for God, you better plan on being obedient or the sacrifice will mean nothing. He needs obedient servants. You know, this was really underscored to me recently. Not only that uh, God needs obedient servants and has to be a priority in our lives, but that God blesses us when we're obedient. And I was sharing this with R.W. that we were recently uh, involved in a lawsuit and our company was sued for $2.5 billion. Now, I told my wife, that's going to put a big dent in our budget. <laughs> you know, I, that's, I don't know how I'm going to pay the Broadway bill or something like that. But we went through this lawsuit and it was, it was very difficult for me because, you know, the Lord has a way in our lives. And I'll just bet you. Oh, we're not supposed to bet. But I'll just uh, I'll just assure you Doesn't that sound more spiritual that at some point in your lives, God will hold you by the nap of the neck above the fire and just ask you if you still trust him. And God just kind of picked up our business and held it over the abyss of a $2.5 billion debt <laughs> and said, do you trust me? And, you know, I, we came to a, a crossroads in that suit. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I went home and asked my wife. Now, men, that's a smart thing to do. Because that's one reason why God has given you to her, for a little advice. A little. <laughs> and Donna said, you ought to pray about it. Now, that's pretty basic. I had been, but I hadn't really been. So I got in our van. I went out in the middle of the desert. And I parked it, and I waited on the Lord. We had a wonderful time together. But the Lord said, obey me. It wasn't long after that that I was reading, and I came across... If you have your Bibles, turn to this, because um, I want you to see the kind of shock I had. I came across Matthew. I was reading Matthew. And I was happily reading 
You know, we read the word of God and sometimes we read to find out what God says. And that's good. And sometimes we read to find out what God says to us. And that's better. And I was reading and I was really kind of reading to see what God says, not thinking about him saying anything to me, particularly that day. And as I, as I was reading there in Matthew, uh, I came to verse 25. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown in prison. Now, I didn't have to worry about prison, but there was a clear instruction there. And I thought, Lord, not only do these do I have to go through this whole thing of this lawsuit, but I got to make friends with this guy. <laughs> so I called a lawyer. I said, Lou, now Lou knows that I'm a Christian. Lou found out I'm a Christian. He got in my car one day and my Bible fell off on it on his feet. And uh, he said, what's this? And uh, that's kind of what we call forced witnessing, you know. And if, he's, if it's, I'm driving him home, he's going through my Bible and reading these verses and asking me what they mean. And that's I those kind of things are nice. But anyway, I called the lawyer. I said, Lou, I said, I got to call this guy and I got to make friends with him. <laughs> he, he thought I was a little crazy. <laughs> he said, you know, in lawsuits like this, you don't call the opponent. And I said, well, you know, I, you know how I feel about God's word. And I have this instruction and I got to do it. And I called this guy. And he was shocked. You know, I mean, usually the lawyers handle everything. And I said, I'd like to talk to you. And we got to, we, we went and we met and we talked in a hall and walked, talked a little bit. It was a little stiff. I mean, you know, when two and a half billion dollars is on the line, it can get a little stiff. But I made a friend of that man. And I want to tell you something today, that we're working out an end to this lawsuit on the basis of the friendship that we established. And why did I do that? Because God's word told me to. And I want to be an obedient servant. Well, that's just some of the things. i got to close. That's some of the things that I've learned out there on the battlefield and I'd like to share with you that are in boot camp. And I hope you've learned something. And I want to leave you with this one thing. Because, you know, you and I, we may never get together again. And we may not get to be exposed to each other's lives again. But I hope you've learned a little something out of this exposure to my life. And before you leave, I want to leave you with this. A blessing from Psalms 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jehovah set you securely on high. May you, students of Master's College, may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all of your offerings and find your offerings acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to share as a soldier who has been out on the field with these who are in your basic training. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that they have not only to gain knowledge, but to gain wisdom. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that in each one of their lives, you would give them a vision for what you can do with each one of them. That you will guide them in that vision. That you will give them someone that they can identify with and to help them to see how you can use them individually. 
I pray, Lord, for each one that you would keep them from the wiles of the serpent, that old liar and enemy of humanity, that you would help them, Lord, to be serious about their, their own personal purity, that, that they would understand the necessity of this in their own lives. And Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this time that we've spent together. And I pray your blessing upon this group now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.